Having someone's business card? Well, that's no big deal. But having Jonathan Richmond's business card? That's a pretty big deal. Not only that, but for my guest today on the program, that card becomes a kind of spiritual totem. I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. Today on the program, Ron Gallo. Let me tell you a little bit about Ron Gallo. With a handful of winning solo albums under his belt, including Stardust Birthday Party, Heavy Meta, and his fabulous new one, Foreground Music, Ron Gallo is, for my money, one of the most exciting guys in music. The New Jersey-born but Philadelphia-based singer-songwriter who got his start fronting bands like Toy Soldiers is a self-possessed engine of a talent who fills every track with nerve, velocity, and heart. He's played Coachella, Bonnaroo, and South by Southwest, and toured with everyone from Spoon to Wilco. Now, what does his music sound like? Well, that's a good question. It's a fiery blend of garage rock, post-punk swerve, and pure warehouse stomp. It's percussive, it's groovy, and it's got a killer one-two knockout pop combination. It's smart, it's soulful, and it's wild. It's a feral blast of shaking indie rock that's immediate, real, and infectious. As for the Jonathan Richmond business card bit that I mentioned earlier, well, let's just say this. It involves sheetrock and inspiration. Let's meet Ron Gallo. Here's my chat with the man himself, right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. I've definitely gone through a lot of different phases. Uh, my, I feel like my first real musical phase was what the music that was happening like when I was in high school in South Jersey, which was, you know, like the peak moment for hardcore pop punk emo screamo, uh, and I was in I was in those sorts of bands, and that was the scene that I initially got into music with. Um, but yeah, then I like, guess I you know. Got in high school, I discovered, um, you know, stuff like Elliot Smith and Neutral Milk Hotel and like all, you know, these sort of 
somewhat modern songwriters and like indie music alternative. And then I kind of got into that. And then college, I went way back and did like a, like a deep dive into American, like the history of American music, basically. And, uh, and then I just kind of like worked my way forward. So I've been, you know, like all over the, all over the musical map, I guess. I had you on the other night and subconsciously or unconsciously, I, after I listened to you, I went straight to my modern lovers album and I was uh-huh. like, oh, yeah, what if Ron likes the modern lovers? I feel like, I feel like I went there for a reason. I was hearing something that drew me back to Jonathan Richmond. That makes me so happy. Um, because Jonathan is the greatest. I wait, I got to find it. I, now I really have to hold on one second. God, this is perfect timing for this. I wish I could have just bust it. Normally I have it right here leaning against my desk. Um, but it's Jonathan Richmond's business card. Um, <laughs> that, yeah, someone, a friend of mine, a guy that runs a venue over in Italy, actually, um, gave it to me as a gift because Jonathan played at his venue and he he has a, a stonemasonry business um, in California. So like, I guess when Jonathan Richmond is not touring, he does stonemasonry and he gave him his masonry business card. And then my friend gave me one and I ha- I always had it propped up right here. It probably fell somewhere. I've also been rearranging, but anyway, that was like a very long tangent to <laughs> that makes me very happy that it led you to the modern lovers. And, and, uh, Jonathan Richmond is, is definitely a hero of mine. So he's kind of, he's kind of one of the, one of the greats. Have you seen him play live a bunch? Yes. It's, uh, I've seen him three times. Um, and I'll, I'll never miss it. Like if I'm anywhere, it sounds like, you know, uh, Oh yeah. 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 It's, uh, it's the greatest. Yeah. It's pretty undeniable. I don't think that there's anybody. It feel it feels universal to me. I can't think of anybody that I've ever known that you could, couldn't take to a Jonathan Richmond show and would not be into it, which is a testament to the, to how incredible, uh, that show is it's just like your your face hurts from you're just like grinning the entire like for 90 minutes straight it's so good it's such okay. it's such joy yeah 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 which is rare yeah did you um how did you find that album that modern lovers album and when you did when you found the modern lovers album did it just ring your bell well yeah no it definitely did um really really resonate with me in a way that a lot of things don't, but I'm trying, I'm trying to think how I found it. Like, I don't, I don't remember the first time that I heard it. Um, but I'm sure just like through all my digging and tracing back and getting into, you know, um, getting into velvet underground and sort of like late seventies, New York CBGB's world. I'm sure just like one thing leads to, you know, uh, so I'm sure when I was like diving into all that stuff at some point in time, that was when I first heard Modern Lovers. And yeah, the um, you know, I think really it's like this the the worldview and sense of humor, uh, though it's really unique that I think it was the thing that really gets you about it. And also just like the purity uh of it, you know, it's like it's almost like little kid, um little kid perspective. But it has that, you're right, it has that little kid thing. And then all the subsequent stuff is mostly like sort of um, the little kid stuff is stronger than the darker stuff. But, um, you know, he kind of left that behind a little bit. But man, I was in a cafe in Berkeley like a year ago and they had that on 
and it sounded as urgent and dynamic and yeah, yeah. and like you can't put it on a timeline you just can't even place oh. it no no absolutely and that's what i how i feel about a lot of that stuff kind of from i guess a similar scene in that time period is that it's like a weird timeless kind of crossroads of like music history in the future and like it, it really is just that that's like my favorite era all of that stuff i think is and that's probably why uh listening to my stuff reminds you of that because that's definitely like my that's my spot yeah i went straight to it and i didn't even realize it until we sat down to, oh yeah that i did just go check that album out just na- it felt like a natural progression to go listen to your from your music to modern lover so amazing Man, one time when I lived in Nashville, uh, one of the times I was going to see him, he played the same venue, I think, three times in a row uh, while I was living there. And the second time I went to go see him, I was at the grocery store right near the venue where he was playing uh, a couple hours before the show. And I'm at the register. I got all my stuff. I'm mid checkout. So she like she was scanning my things. I turn to the right. I see Jonathan Richmond walk into the store. I was like, bye. I I straight up just walked away from my stuff in the middle of my order. And I went up to him. I was like, Jonathan, hey, man, I just wanted to say hello. I'm very excited for the show tonight. And he like he looked at me. He's like, you're a guitar player. <laughs> I was like, yeah, how did you know? And then we ended up talking. We talked for like 10 minutes. And he was we were talking about guitars. And he was very intuitive. Um and he was like telling me why he why he got out of sort of the modern lover stuff and kind of went solo and never really played electric again. And then I just had this like 10 minute conversation with him mid checkout. And then I went back and I was like, I am so sorry to leave you hanging here. Uh, that's like one of my favorite musicians and songwriters. I had to take the chance. And uh, and then the show was amazing. Yeah. What was his reason for? What 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 did he say in terms of why he did that? He said, uh, God, what, what were they called? Um, he saw it was a, it was a band of three brothers, and I believe the word Kings was in the name. Oh, that sort of Calypso band? Yes, he saw them, and he said it changed everything. And then the one thing he said, he was like, I decided that I never wanted to live in a place that... Uh, well, I, he said he wanted to live a place where there's a lot of Spanish people. So like he wanted to sub- submerge himself in that culture um, and that music. And and that was it. He just, you know, like flamenco and and playing a nylon string guitar. And, he, and I think that's where it started was seeing that band and then submerging himself in their culture. And then now she just never went back. Yeah, it was like a trip, a trip they took to Bermuda because they were kind of burned out a little bit. Yeah, then, yeah. Right. Yep. And then th- that happened. Yeah, it's interesting that you got 10 minutes with him because he, I've been a journalist, you know, since I was 16 and he doesn't do interviews. That makes sense. Yeah, I could see. Right. <laughs> and I guess, I guess because it was the nature of it, it was, um, it was just a conversation in a grocery store and it was like, there was no, I guess he didn't have any preconceived notion, but I was, I kind of assume the same thing. I was planning on just going and saying hi and then him being like, yeah, whatever, man, bye. But he was super uh, engaged, like eyes wide and like asking all these questions and telling me all these stories. And I was like, holy shit, this is crazy. I can't believe uh, we're getting into it right now. Um, very cool. 
Very, very cool. Yeah, you got 10 more minutes than anybody like in the last 40 years. (laughs) (laughs) I interviewed Jonathan Richmond. Yeah, that's all you got to do. You have to just be in the right place at the right time. It has to be spontaneous, which I guess would make a lot of sense for him. That's right. And I will say one more thing about him that I think I was going to say that like most people don't realize this, but I think people who know do know, and you probably know this for sure, um, that he's a great guitar player. Yeah, for sure. Maybe even like one of the most underrated because he really is a skilled player. Yeah, it's kind of overlooked, I think, because of the songs and what people primarily love love about him. The guitar playing is almost like a second secondary. But yeah, yeah, he rips. There's a um, a little known fact. It's worth verifying that he played for like three minutes with Graham Parsons. Like he just somehow they connected and he played with him very briefly, like just like in an hour or something. And then that was it. And um, anyway, but he, yeah, he's one of my favorite guys because he's such an, such a unique individual and your music to me has all of those best qualities that I love about his music. And I think the purity that you're talking about is something that I, that I get from you as a musician, as a songwriter. Um, And so to me, it's like, I love that. I'm drawn to that. So I really dig what you do. Man, thank you so much. That's, uh, that is very nice. Really. Very cool. Very cool. And it seems it also seems to me that you um, and I'm, cu- I'm I'm curious if you came from because you went to college and if music wasn't happening, where were you headed? Like, what were you majoring in? What were you thinking? Nothing, really. I was just kind of I was sort of going through the motions. Uh, I guess what was expected, you know, that's how I kind of ended up going to school. Um, in retrospect, if I, you know, I probably wouldn't have, I probably just would have went on tour and just started playing, but you know, that was what you did. So I went and I guess I'm glad from, uh, from a social perspective and the people that I met and, and, and how it got me into the city and, and playing. So I think, I think it was kind of meant to be in that way, but as far as studying and like a path, I really just never had one. I'm like, taking art classes and a bunch of electives and uh communications mass media major because it was the most broad and general and uh <laughs> least involved about nothing didn't learn anything and yeah i just never really had a path i mean i think at some point in high school i was like this is what i'm gonna do with no natural abilities but it's just a feeling and then i'm just still doing it and it's just been like a, it's been an uphill battle like the entire time. Uh, you know, cause when I first started playing, like I'm talking no abilities. Like the first time I played music in front of people was an audition for the uh, talent show in high school. And I put together this medley of songs with a friend of mine who actually was a good guitar player, but I was playing acoustic guitar and singing. And at the end of the audition, they said, uh, well, I think we could consider you for the show, would you be down to do the show uh, instrumentally though? So it's like a nice way of them saying they didn't want me to sing. Like that's where I started. And then here I am like all these years later, just still doing it. But, but um, I guess I kind of lost, uh, went on a tangent there about the, the original question, but yeah, that's, that's the path, I guess. No, no, we, we do tangents here. That's what we do. The, and did you actually, I'm just curious because I teach college and 
where I teach here in the Bay Area, I don't see anybody starting bands or playing music. I just see people like playing volleyball a lot. You know, I don't see the arts being like in the old days, like when I, the old days of the eighties, it's like you had like college, they used to call it college rock. You know, it was like REM. These were all like college bands. So I'm wondering, did you, did you finish, did you finish school? And when you were in school, were you, you were doing music while you were doing your studies, right? Yeah. Uh, my first band, well, I had, I had a band with friends of mine from high school that carried into college. Then we kind of fell apart. And then I started, um, the band I was in up until I kind of started playing under my name. It was a band that lasted for six or seven years. Uh, but yeah, I mean that that band started, and I, you know, I was going to class and just kind of coasting by, not really giving a shit. But that's really what it was all about for me was playing, and there were a lot of. It was actually really a pretty exciting time because there were so many house shows and like warehouse shows and parties, and you know, there's just so much going on, and there was such like a huge scene of kids every weekend. It was like two 300 people would show up to whatever house was having the show or the party and it was really felt like a scene and it was really cool to be a part of that um and there were a lot of bands like it was it was a thing uh and i don't know what it's like now it feels you know from my perspective the concept of a scene um i don't know if it exists anymore like everything feels pretty insular and isolated and internet based now where i you know that sense of community maybe it still exists uh but it feels like maybe we got in the last window where that was before social media really um just took over and like demolished all sense of <laughs> real real life uh community i guess and so i don't know it's cool to be a part of that i guess you know where were you i was in philly i went to temple you went to Temple. I mean, Temple. I mean, that's a great school. Yeah, I. It, it was. It was cool. I. And I'm sure it is a great school. I just. I just don't know what I was doing. I was like, oh, here I'm. I'm living in Philly. I'm going to Temple. I don't. You know. I'm just trying to get by. I'm sure it would have been great if I actually had an interest in something that I was pursuing, but. I didn't really, really didn't have that experience. Were your um were your parents supportive of your musical? First of all, they, they must have been happy you were at Temple. Um, but were they also supportive of your musical endeavors and your pursuit of that? That took a while for sure. Uh, you know, my, <laughs> mom, mom, it was it's always unconditional. You know, she's like, yeah, do do your thing. You know, supportive, excited about whatever I'm doing, even if it sucks. Uh. You know, dad coming from a little bit more of a practical perspective, you know, or early on, I would always share the music with him. He'd always kind of give me like the tough critique, um, especially of the earlier stuff that was really bad. He would usually give it to me straight. And it it took him a while. I think mostly out of just caring, like, you know, on seeing music as a very unstable thing to pursue kind of trying to push something a little bit more stable on me and me just not being capable of it and so you know i just i kind of stuck stuck with it even with the resistance there but there was a moment with when i went off on my own and with the first record 
where we started to do some things that I guess were like quote unquote validating. And then my dad was like, Oh, I get it now. Um, and I think it was a combination of like me figuring out uh myself as a songwriter and a musician. So like the probably the quality of it got better, but also seeing it transpire into things that were validating was him like being like, All right, I'm on board now, I get it. And since then, all about it, you know. So he's like uh you know, when we played Bonnaroo, he was like, I'm running an RV. We're all going, you know, <laughs> like, su- you know, super, uh, super into it and excited about it. But it definitely took some time. Uh, so he comes to the shows and he'll. Oh, yeah. No, he's uh, he's all about it. He's all about it. I think it was just. I, th- I guess in retrospect, you know, it was sort of challenging me, which, you know, maybe in a way made me better. Um having some resistance, but all about it now on board fully. How did you take that criticism when he was saying to you like, okay, I'm going to offer an unsolicited critique of your music. Um, how did you, did you pay attention to it? And did you think he made some valid points? Yeah, I think the points were valid, but I have always been, uh, for better or for worse. I mean, I've always been pretty against the grain and, and, since I was like a newborn doing the opposite of what was I was supposed to, or what was expected of me. That's been like my reoccurring theme through all of life. Um, so I think I've just always maintained that. And that's, that's probably where the insanity to, I think to pursue music takes a certain level of insanity uh, to, to, to really kind of go for that blindly. And I think that's probably where I got that from. It's like this desire to want to not become or do any of the things that I've been around my whole life. So I take it, but I'm also like, I don't care. Fuck it. Right, right. I get what you mean, because anytime I found myself, I'm very much the same. When I find myself or when I found myself in situations like if I found myself at a football game in high school, um, it made me feel like my skin would crawl. If I felt like I was doing things that everybody else was doing. Um, one time, you know, years ago, I went to a, um, not like a bachelor party, but something along those lines. And I just felt like my behavior was supposed to be a certain way. And when I find myself in those situations, um, I really just rebel. I can't, they make me feel, they make me uncomfortable. And uh, I, it sounds like you're the same. Yes. To, uh, for better or for worse. Yeah. I can't, I just can't do it. Like if I'm not, if I'm not fully into something, I just can't fake it. So I usually resort to find a way, a way to like lean in and make fun of the situation to make myself feel more comfortable in it. Like go, like I would go to, go to things ironically or something. Um, and like try to find the the humor in this bizarre situation that you don't make sense in kind of thrive in that but i i fully relate to what you just said yeah yeah it's weird i I mean i've always felt like an outsider i've said that before and i've i've always i've never felt even when i've even when i've been accepted i've never really felt accepted it's it's so you know um and i've always felt the kind of discomfort with like status quo or Mm -hmm. um you know events that seem to be hey this is sort of like the um you know the event in a box you just show up here and do these things and then you go home and i'm sort of like what if you light it on fire 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, that's me. I get it. I get it. You know, you know. It's uh I wonder what psychologically if if you somebody was to break that down what it means, but I I definitely have whatever that is. Now we can spend the next 45 minutes psychoanalyzing why we are this way. <laughs> I think the masses just make me nervous and I think that yeah. if something is widely accepted I become suspicious. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it makes sense. I mean, I, I, I tend to look at things that way as well. And then, but, but it's really, it's pretty tricky because especially in America, I feel like that programming is really, really, really deep and clever. And so even when you kind of think that you're above it, you see it, even if you spent your whole life against it, you'll find yourself in situations in time where you'll see that it's like, it's really in there in a, in a subtle ways. Like you think you're above the, you know, you're above that program, but no, you, you're still, you still have it. Uh, you know, it's, it's like no one's out of its, out of its grasp, I guess, you know, and you, you try to, and you, you challenge and you question and you challenge and you question. And it sounds like, you know, that's something that you do as well. And, and I've always done, but it still gets in there. And then when you catch yourself, you're like, fuck. I know. Uh, uh, but, I, you know, I, I've kind of, especially over the last few years, um, you know, like the veil of everything has been lifted. So the life has been reduced to something that's very simple and slow. And a lot of it is at home. And it's like very, for at least for me, it's like very domestic. It's like, washing dishes, uh, watching things, working on your house. Um, there's nothing cool or culturally significant about any of it. You're just like kind of beaten down to this. Just like, well, I have nothing else to do right now. Like there's, there's no tour. We're mid pandemic. There's nothing to do. So it's just like, I have to settle into this life that I feel like I've been terrified of because it feels like too it just feels too safe and comfortable and normal. And it makes me extremely uncomfortable. Uh, but that's the thing that I've learned is like, sometimes you lean into it and it's like some of, some of these things that you can embrace are actually incredibly radical. Uh, you just don't think that they are. Um, yeah. Which is, which is like a weird plot twist. Um, <laughs> right. Like a weird plot twist to be somebody that's like, living this unconventional life constantly on the go in motion on tour you know uh on paper it's like this very sort of outside of the box lifestyle and then you're you're living like the at home uh you know wake up at normal hours and eat three meals a day and you're like huh this is unsettling but then also like you're living with somebody and you're like, you're cultivating a sense of family and you're sharing your space. And you're like, actually this shit is the most radical thing that you can do is like to create a relationship and like coexist with somebody and learn about somebody and love somebody and have responsibilities. Like maybe it's not, maybe this isn't like the, this isn't the idea I had all along, the things I feared, like, no, I'll never be that. <laughs> right. But then you see yourself doing, you're like, oh, this shit's actually terrifying. Maybe I spent my whole life rebelling because I'm afraid of it.
just keeps coming. By the way, how are there so many t-shirts on Earth? I mean, let's say on average everyone has 15. You times that by billions of people. How is there enough raw materials? I wear the same three of them. I've got 124 too many, and they just keep coming. I've got nine apples in my kitchen. The store had thousands. There's millions of stores. How are there so many apples? Where are these trees? There is something sort of punk rock about domesticity. You know, it is. There's something kind of cool about it. Yeah, it's insane. Um, you know, and I I don't have kids and I and I stand by my fear in in that as individually and personally. Like I get what but like for me personally, it's like my biggest fear in the world uh is to ha- is to have a kid right now because I just think that I'm like not at all ready for that. But I was talking to a friend of mine that has a kid and he said something the other day we were talking about, it, he's like I think having a kid is the most radical thing that you can do. And I was like, yeah, you're right. It kind of gets, it gets perceived as like, you know, you have a kid and then your life becomes domesticated and it becomes about, but that is the, that's like the scariest, craziest, most like hardcore thing you can do. And when he said that, I was like, holy shit, that's a really interesting perspective. Um, Kind of hand in hand with what you just said. Yeah. It's... Yeah, because having a kid is like super DIY. It's like there, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't, there's no manual, there's no instructions, there's no, it's just like, hey, here's a blank canvas, give it a shot. Exactly. <laughs> we're going to create right? life and then we're going to keep it and then we're going to be responsible for it. It's crazy. I'm terrified of it. Um, yeah. But yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's just like, it's funny. It's like, I don't know. Being in a bed and going on tour, living this crazy lifestyle is not that radical. It's actually incredibly boring when you go and do it and you sit in a van for eight hours a day and you do your load in and you play the set and it just be that becomes mechanical. But sometimes it's like these things that you've pinned as not that are actually the most exhilarating and crazy and emotionally like roller coaster ride. It's very bizarre. Are you a pretty social guy? um i can be i i find that i don't i don't pursue social settings anymore but i'm pretty good when i'm in them if that makes any sense uh like i've definitely developed the sort of joy of missing out perspective over the last few years where i'm like don't want to be bothered um I'll isolate myself from the whole world. Yeah. I don't want 
I don't want to go to anything. The concept of going to a party is like my worst nightmare. Uh, conceptually, but if I was thrown into it or I run into people, I actually love to see people and love to have conversations, but maybe not all at once. Like I love a good one-on-one hang. Like I, I think I like meaningful hangs. Uh, when I was younger, it was like I was, it was constantly parties and shows and, you know, having 150 friends. It's not sustainable. I'm not interested in that, but so, uh, what's a good, what's a go for? So, um, selectively social, I guess. Yeah. Because the, that socket, that socket burns out. I think that the 150 friend raging thing, like that's not sustainable. And the meaningful hang is, um, and like, you're right, like the idea of a party to me doesn't sound great. But if I found myself at a party, I think it'd be fine. Exactly. Exactly. That's that's what it is. It's scarier in theory. Right. But <laughs> Right. But you can rise to the occasion. You can rise to the occasion, yes. And then maybe sleep for six months after because you'll have used all of your energy <laughs> reserves to go do that. Not being conditioned for it. Your bandwidth just gets burned right out. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and I, th- I think that's why I like playing because it, there's, like, I think I would be okay if my social life was reduced to touring because, you know, you have your family unit, your band, your crew, you go out on tour, you have, you know, social st- gatherings every night with people and it feels meaningful and it's nice. And then you hang with people after the show. And then it's like, once I come home from tour, I'm like, all right, I'll lock myself in my house. I'm good. I'm like, I'm good for a long time. Uh, I think because there's a purpose surrounding it. I like gatherings with purpose, I guess. So. Yeah, but you're right. Like the social thirst is quenched when you do that. For sure. For sure. Like beyond, I think. Yeah. When you're on tour, you must miss the sort of um, the peacefulness and the control of domestic life. Sort of. Uh yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess especially the last few years are becoming very unconditioned to touring. Um, you know, you, I think you just kind of realize pretty quickly that the touring lifestyle is not really conducive to being a human being. And mm-hmm. so at like a couple of years living a slow at-home life, you're like, yeah, this is how it's supposed to be. And so that has definitely informed the approach that I want to have with touring moving forward. Just because I just think it makes it better. I think you're you're playing better shows. You're more genuine if you're balancing it with time off and then going out and playing, being a little bit more selective and meaningful with what you do. It makes each night better than just, we're going to go do 250 dates this year and we're just going to grind and burn ourselves into the ground and get to the point where we're robotic and... We just have to turn it on every night and then it becomes, it's not genuine anymore. And then you're, you know, want to open the van door and roll out in the middle of the highway. Like you don't need to get to that point anymore. And also the whole Henry Rollins idea of like get in the van, which is, you know, as an ethos is awesome. Um, But when you're starting to get into your, you know, your early thirties and you have people waiting for you at home. And you're, you know, in a van with a bunch of guys. Um, it, I imagine that that would get draining if you're doing 250 a year. For sure. 
Um, and I can relate to both sides of it. I remember that Rollins perspective. Like I remember a point when I first, like first record time when heavy meta came out, I was like, I want to play every night. This year. I want to get out there, like s- serve the purpose and, and be on the mission and every single night, play, go, play, go, don't stop. And that shit caught up really, really fast because it's, it's pretty easy to have that mindset. And then when you actually go to physically accomplish it, you're like, Oh, I am a human. I'm not a machine. And I'm like (laughs) three, three months into 12 months of touring. And you're like, I don't know how I'm going to get to the end of this. Um, yeah, it's it's pretty eye opening, you know. I I really didn't see it coming because it really was so genuine, you know. I was like, I'll never get tired, I'll never get burned out. I don't understand these people complaining on the internet about how difficult touring is. It's time to go. Uh, no, it's it catches up quick, and you know, I, I just think there's there's a way to find balance. Uh, I and honestly, Rollins incredible he's still doing that um yeah but selectively yeah 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 but but more or less just non-stop and having that you know like thirst for life and travel and go and learning it's amazing to to have that fire that that can take you um but it's tough it's hard to i guess if you're at a certain level it's a little bit different i mean he's also not you know, in a little van and driving himself, you know, it's a little, little yeah. more lush probably. So that makes it going hard easier. It gets misinterpreted, but I think what he really meant was do the work and get the reps in. Yes. But I don't think he meant like forever. <laughs> I think he meant like do the work, get the reps in yep. and be that, be that machine that sort of, of that artistic muscle gets really developed. Right. Yep. Yes. Uh, and then once you've got that, you know, it's like, you, you know, you could wake up Steph Curry and he can make a, a, a three pointer in his sleep because he's done the reps. Right. Mm-hmm. And I kind of feel that that's, that's what Rollins meant. It's like, do the reps, do the reps. And once you've done the reps and you hit 30, 35, you kind of go like, maybe, maybe that's enough with the reps. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It gets, it gets to a time where like, okay, I've put the work and the effort and the time. And now it's sort of to kind of like reap this, you know, reap the reward of killing yourself for all those years to now do it in a way where you can almost do it however you want. And that's kind of the, the ideal scenario, but, but I love it. I mean, when I get, when I get, uh, you know, when I, when I get, I I feel jaded or I feel like I'm losing sight of like why I do what I do, or I'm getting down on myself. Like I will pick up a Rollins book and I will feel regenerated. Like I'll feel reborn. It gives me his perspective is really refreshing and energizing to me. It like reminds you to like very no bullshit. Um, and that work ethic, it's like, it reminds you the point of it all. And, and it's cool to see somebody that's really preached that and embodies that and lives that and does it still to this day. And it kind of reminds you like, yeah, stop, stop complaining. Like you're incredibly lucky to be doing this. Um, yeah, it's hard sometimes, but don't lose sight of the point. And 
And so I find myself going back time and time again and like reminds me my reminds me my own point. You'll laugh because when my my first book of poems came out, I was doing a reading. And at the end of it, the reading, they asked me, you were taking questions, and someone said to me, like, who are your what made you want to write? What poets? And I think they were expecting me to say something very sophisticated and smart. And I just said Henry Rollins, because someone gave me that Rollins book when I was in high school, the one that's like his birth date. And it's just all poetry. And it wasn't even so much that I loved the poems, but I didn't realize you could write like that. And it was like my head exploded. And so I just said Henry Rollins. And they just looked really disappointed, like like I wasn't really very smart. But it was the truthful answer. And um, I like that hearing you say, like, you pick up a Rollins book, and I think it's not even, it's not that Rollins is Shakespeare, but there's so much integrity and so much truth to what he's doing. There's, it's, there's no bullshit in that, in that work. No, it's incredible. I mean, it's really dark, which I find really funny a lot of the time. It's really intense. It's really straightforward. Uh, I find it to be more relatable than pretty much anything. Uh, so I'm with you. I mean, as far as a reader goes, I mean, there's not a lot of other things that are as engaging as his books for me. It's just, yeah. um, yeah, I, I, my question for you is how do you, how do you finish that first book? Oh, I'm not sure. Oh, you mean the oh, first one I wrote? Yes. It took 20 years. Okay. Okay. This is, this is good to hear because. I'm kind of in the middle of it and it just gets, it feels like never ending. Like it's dragged out, it's dragged out because I feel like I've been working on it and working on it and working on it. And then I just, I'm like, no, it's nothing. It's bullshit. No, it's never like, just don't even. And then just time goes by and time passes. And I'm like, should I just call this thing done? Uh, <laughs> or is it like, is it a 20 year thing? Like, when do you know it's done? How how do you, uh, how do you call it done is the question, I guess, for the first so time. So I remember I asked that question and one of my professors said to me, and it's, it was a really brilliant thing. She said to me, you know, it's done when you print it out and you have it on the table and uh, you open the window and the window blows the pages and maybe there's some friends around and you don't care what page it opens to. Uh... Right. Like you wouldn't think like, oh, I hope it's not page 47 with that bullshit I put down. It's like, no, you, like you would stand by any, it can blow to any page and you don't care who walks in and reads that page on the floor. You're good. Oh, that's awesome. I really, that cool. That's super helpful. Yeah. Yeah. That like, that, that's like a record. It's like with the same with thing with a track listing. It's like, that's when you know it's done where if somebody walked in, in the middle of any song, would you be okay with it? Right, right. You don't care what page it opens to. You don't care what song it is. You stand by it. I love that. And so I was done with the book in grad school. And when she said that to me, I looked at the book and I went, well, I guess I'm not done because there, is, there are a couple pages of bullshit that I just have in here. So to fill her to get to the good stuff. And um, it probably took another, you know, 15 years or so. What are you working on? What is the book? So it's tentatively titled Social Meteor. Um, and it kind of started, I I've made, I've made like a few little zines and stuff from over the years, just maybe like 20 page with like drawings and weird little snippets and stuff. 
Uh, but this one, this one has some of that in it, but it started with, I was doing this exercise. Um, somebody told me about this book called uh, The Artist Way, which is like a little bit, um, it kind of has a little bit of a strange vibe going into it. It's like, uh, all right. I like it almost felt a bit like new agey kind of weird art, spiritual artist exercise to kind of like get your creative brain going. But a friend told me and he like preps, he's like, it's try to see past like the, you know, that stuff and just do it. And there's an exercise in it called the morning pages where you wake up and you write three full handwritten pages first thing you do in the morning like open your eyes and you do the three pages so that so i started doing that like religiously and i loved the practice and i actually started to really love what was coming out of it and then if i found myself doing that and then writing a lot more throughout the day like my brain was was working and so that was kind of how it started was just like taking these entries and compiling them together like the best ones from over the last few years and that's kind of what it is it's sort of like a hodgepodge of all different kinds of weird shit there's some tangents and like little essays thrown in and then there's these entries and then more little random shit uh i don't know it's like a compilation i guess it's like a scrapbook almost of like all different kinds of writing but that's why I don't know when it's done because it's just it doesn't have any structure to it. And so I uh like it could be today, but <laughs> right. It could be done. You're saying there's no beginning really or end. Yeah, yeah. There's no there's no conclusion. It's just like but what you said I think is really, really helpful because I can go back and read it and say, What needs to get cut from this? And then once I feel good about everything that's in there, that's when I'll know. Are you writing every day? No. Uh, I've just been creatively feel like sort of sort of out of it for the last couple of months. I think finishing the record and then I was kind of working on this book coinciding with it. But then once like something gets done, I'm just kind of like, okay, it's time to like everything has felt forced. So I've just been kind of stepping away a bit, but I, uh, if anything, I feel like it, it needs to be whittled down, which is, I guess, a good spot. And I guess I don't need to really write, write much more. Yeah. That's a happy problem to have because then it's just sort of like the pruning and the shaping is much easier than the, than creating more plants. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. Or planting Mm -hmm. more stuff, um, which is pretty cool. And I I also think that, you know, this is really helpful for people to listen to who are who are songwriters and artists and themselves in the sense that after you create something, there almost needs to be a grace period where maybe you step back and just and just let the let everything settle a little bit. Um, yeah, I could not agree more. And that's not something. A few years ago, that was not really a part of the music business grind. It was like, go, 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 record tour, record tour, record tour. No time to turn it off and live a life. And that is, I feel like that is vital because if you're writing and creating while you're working and actively on tour and going and going, what is your perspective? It's not 
you know, it's inside a van on a highway in a venue. It's not really very relatable. And so I fully agree with what you're saying. It's like, you've got to turn it off and you got to step back from it all and you just got to live a life. And from that will come stuff that I like to think is more connected and like potentially meaningful to people. I know in the eighties bands like Motley Crue and Journey, they started writing songs like home sweet home and faithfully. And those are, those are from a tour bus. Those are songs that are written from the perspective of we've been to 400 cities in, you know, 12 months and and I'm sitting in a tour bus missing home or thinking about not being on a tour bus. For sure. For sure. You know, and that's, it's, it's fine to capture that moment, you know, when it happens for the first time, but you can't really get much more creativity, long lasting creativity out of that. And how many times can you talk about the same thing? Cause it, it is monotonous. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, going back to what we were talking about earlier, it's kind of just been cool to be home and be back down to earth and just observing from the same perspective that I observed making the first record from before I was like a professional touring musician. You know, I feel like it really was really, really helpful uh, to get back there and, you know, do small tasks like paint a room. Uh, do brick and mortar work in the backyard, like learn, learn these kinds of, you know, crafts, get out of your head. I don't know. It's good. It's good. I mean, Jonathan Richmond's stonemason work makes a lot of sense to me. Yes. Right. Doesn't it? Cause he's like such, you know, his, his art is very pure in that sense. And it's just. That's probably why he does it. He's like, I'm just going to be a normal guy doing normal physical labor and I'm going to write music when it comes to me. I'm not going to force myself to make my living and everything off of just my creativity because it 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 uh, it taints it, I think. Forces it. It forces it. Yeah, and I, and I do think that also, you know, there is something a little bit spiritual about painting a room doing a task, completing a task, which is very much like art. You know, it's like you're you're creating something and completing something. And that process can be found in quotidian life, you know, where it's sort of like the sink is leaking, the room needs painting. And when you complete the task, it feels as good probably as writing a song and finishing a song. Yes. And that that it's like seriously one of the most profound things that I think I've realized. It's like the, much connected to what we were talking about earlier. It's like I just painted my cabinets and I feel really, really good. I feel like I just finished a record. It's like there's something really huge there, uh, something really eye-opening about creativity and getting out of your head. And there, it, it, it there is a, like an element of Zen to it, like a practice. You know, when you're just working on something you're painting a wall and then you're done said job and you're like before and after you can see the results of your time and effort and it's incredible it's incredible like and i i feel almost better than i do like pounding my head against the wall be like write a song you know force yourself it's just sometimes that's what you got to do is go paint a wall 
Yeah. And the beauty of that is, you know, there are times where I'll be writing and I go, I hit the wall. I can't finish this right now. Maybe tomorrow, maybe in five months, um, maybe in a year, maybe never. But when you're painting the wall, you never go like, I just can't finish this. This is I'll come back to it in March. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) There's nothing mysterious about it. Like, you know, right. Exactly what you have to do when it comes to creativity there. There's no path. So it's just. It's almost too free. It's too free that it's overwhelming. And I think that's why it's difficult sometimes. And, you know, you got to get out of your head. You got to get out. And I think completing a task is like getting in the van and getting the reps in because you get the feeling of starting something, getting into it, and then finishing it. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I think it's huge. By the way, you were mentioning Elliot Smith, and it just occurred to me. I don't think I could be wrong, but I don't think so. You're on the same label that he was at one point. Yes, which, uh, yeah, which is a whole thing. But, you know, for me personally and sort of, you know, getting into his music in high school and then, you know, now working with Kill Rock Stars is like, oh, shit, this is crazy. Um, but yeah, huge, huge little cool full circle thing for sure. Yeah, that's very cool. I also like, I always thought of, I grew up in the time where like a record label was, you know, you would buy an album because it was on that label. If you didn't hear that band, it didn't matter because you knew that you could trust that label. And Hill Rockstars was always that for me. And they're one of the last surviving ones that do that. Um, and I think it's so cool that that you're on there and it makes perfect sense to me that you are. Yeah, I mean, it does to me too. And it it was like such a path to get there. Um, and then once it did, I was like, holy shit, this, this makes so much sense. Uh, and, and just the, like, like, and I agree with you, like the integrity of the label, everything that they stand for, how uncompromising they've been from the beginning. I was like, yes, yes. Yeah. It's, it's rare to, to be a part of a label where like their ethos also resonates with you because most labels don't have one. Right. There's cool names. There's cool history. But with Killer Rockstars, it's like there's a thing that they have subscribed to and they've stood by since the very beginning and they are still doing that. Like, that's cool. That feels feels better than, you know, other scenarios that you could be in. So it's really interesting. Yeah, because record labels, I mean, like I was thinking, like, what label would you have been on in the 80s? And it's like I was thinking maybe like Enigma or Restless or Twin Tone that put out those replacements records and um and I just think that Kill Rockstars has survived. And um, and it makes just to me, it makes perfect sense to have your music on there. And um, you know, what you do to me has that that clarity, the purity of the stuff I've always listened to. And there is an agelessness and a timelessness to it. And I just I just love what you do. I really, really enjoy your music. And thank you. No, it's 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 cool to hear because like I've just lost all sense over the last few years. I mean, I've always been pretty all over the place and like perpetually chasing myself with music. And you know, I'll get really into something and I'll create from that spot. And so it's resulted in like all of these uh, potentially confusing path for people. But um, no, I mean, I really, I really appreciate it. It's like I lose sight of it sometimes. Like sometimes, sometimes it feels feels futile or like none of it matters uh a lot of it because of the last few years like not 
not being in rooms with people and playing and being able to have that dialogue and, you know, being in your house for like two and a half years, resorting to social media, it feels very isolating. And you're like, it's, and I, and I wonder, and I think most musicians can probably relate to this, but it's made the whole thing feel very, very pointless. Mm. Unless you're thriving on TikTok or something, or you're like a real social media person, it's made it's made what you do like completely up for question of whether it has any point or serves any purpose or matters or is good or bad or whatever. Like there's no context. It's like sitting in the dark with like your shit out there and you're just like, I have no idea. There could be zero people that even give no or give a shit. I have no concept anymore. It's very bizarre, but because that transaction of presenting it to the people and and then and then their reaction to the presentation coming back to you is gone has been gone yeah and it's vital and it's it's everything and now it's become everyone competing for endless digital space like competing for attention on the internet and bomb- everyone's so bombarded with everything all the time that if you're basing your concept of what you do on the response the internet is giving you, probably 97% of the time it's going to feel pointless because every artist at all times and every brand and every person is projecting their stuff out at, in, in all moments. So like, if yours doesn't cut through, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's invaluable. It just means that this is not, this isn't it. Uh, and so, yeah, without that like human, human element, you know, in the room and being able to be able to have these conversations or be able to play a show and then talk to people after you just have no concept. Um, unless of course you're thriving on TikTok and you're like an influencer and your whole world is like, <laughs> you know, it's very, it's just really, really strange. It's really, really strange. Well, buddy, I have really appreciated this conversation. I wholeheartedly appreciate this conversation too, man. Thank you so much for having me and, you know, being able to talk about this stuff is get into it and you get it. So it's cool. Sorry. So thank well, you. Thanks buddy. No, I appreciate that. Thank you. And, uh, and do come back on. Okay. Absolutely. Anytime. there you go. Ron Gallo. What a great guy. I really enjoyed that chat. He is, he is the coolest and, um, his music is amazing. And as a person, he is a high quality dude, thoughtful, meditative, funny, intelligent, and, uh, really, really friendly. So I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. You'll love his new album as much as I do. I'm sure of it. Foreground music, pick it up. Ron Gallo music, Dot com Gallo with two L's, by the way. AlexGreenOnline.com is where you need to go to find out what's happening with me. BombshellRadio.com will inform you 
all of the ways in which our radio station continues to tick. You can follow me on Twitter at Embers Editor. You can follow me on Instagram at Embers Podcast. And you can also email me, editor at StereoEmbersMagazine.com. Stereo Embers, the podcast, is available on all podcast platforms. Go to the one that you use, subscribe, rate, and review, and tell every single person in your life about our show. Let's close things up with a longer listen to Ron's new single, At Least I'm Dancing. Enjoy it, and thank you, as always, for listening to Stereo Embers, the podcast only right here on Bombshell Radio. Taxes and big flames are coming according to something I read And if the words are true, I'm gonna dance straight through the gates of heaven in my head Shattered by a clever. We don't have to. I just keep dancing. I just keep dancing.